You're listening to On The Road, a podcast powered by Autocar. Welcome to On The Road. I'm Rich. And I'm Ish. The aim is basically to have as many discussions as possible with the people in the private hire industry. We've got some exciting guests lined up, from the drivers to the operators and everything in between. This week we've kept our word and we're delighted to have Jess Okitit. Did I get that right? You got that right. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Uh, who is the general manager of Via Van with us today. Um, as you may know, Via Van entered the market last year and have become one of the biggest players in the private hire industry. Uh, Jess, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have a busy schedule and so we really appreciate you coming on board. Would you like to explain a little bit about yourself to our listeners? About me personally? Yes. Yeah, start for yourself. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I'm Jess. I'm originally Australian. Um, I, I guess, went to school, grew up there, um, went into, actually started my career as a lawyer, believe it or not. Um, after a few, not that actually long in the law, I decided that was probably not going to be a very good long-term fit for what I enjoyed doing and moved into consulting. I then moved to the US to go to business school, um, where I met my current husband, who is French. I didn't, he didn't want to live in Australia and I wasn't really quite ready to move to Europe, so we decided to live, to move to Singapore. Kind of, half, kind of halfway. Um, and I actually started working for Apple um, in their operations team. And then a couple of years ago, we had our first kid and decided that we wanted to be closer to family and move to London. Um, and shortly thereafter, I joined Via, which soon in Europe became Via Van. And I've been there for the last two years. Awesome. Great story. Um, I must also say, I've also lived in Australia myself. It's a oh. lovely place. Please take me back with you. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I've been still, like, I, I'm still like... <laughs> Quality of life in Australia is hard to beat. I feel like I kind of keep dropping hints that at it's some true. stage we'll move back, but we'll see. So, I mean, that's so you were at Via before it became Via Van. I was. So, you were, you were kind of overseeing, or you were there at least while there was the whole kind of partnership and talks in place and stuff. Um, how was that? Um, no, no, it was, it, yeah, it was cool, it was super interesting. So, I guess I joined Via, I think there were already plans in the works. Um, for Via Van to sort of be created. Um, actually, before signing, I'd kind of done the full interview process with Via, and just before signing, the CEO called me, and he's like, "Like, how would you feel if shortly after starting, you ended up actually working for a new entity that wasn't exactly Via, but was quite similar in, in its DNA? Um, and so I think it was in the works, and I think I joined in June, and by September, October of 2017, um, I guess the joint venture with with MB Vans was announced and we became Via Van. And I actually think it's been really cool to watch this sort of new company that is kind of very, very connected to two big and different companies sort of evolve. I mean, when you say that it's similar in its DNA, what then kind of is the core mission or the DNA of Via Van or Via before it? Yeah, so I, I guess why I say that it's kind of similar in mission, I think like kind of you know pushing on like the idea that shared is the future Mm -hmm. and this idea that if we're going to reduce congestion and we're going to improve the environment and I think we've seen in London and we've seen in every major city globally like government is going to continue to push such that more and more trips are done by either public transportation walking or cycling and I actually think that could be really good news for the private hire industry there's there's still a gap if you look at the existing landscape of public transportation in the UK and almost everywhere and that gap I think can be filled by like sort of the private hire sector in in shared rides Um, it helps to kind of reduce the single number of single 
passenger vehicles on the road. Um, it helps to achieve sort of the mayor and the, I guess the globe's goal of, of reducing single passenger transport, but it also provides a much more convenient and much more cost-effective option um, than what's currently available today. Mm-hmm. And you guys, or well, Vivan, joined uh, the kind of the market. It was was it last summer or before? April. It was April. April okay, last I was close. Year. I was close. Yeah, and yeah. how has it been so far? Has it been an exciting journey for it you guys? It has been a very exciting journey. So I think, like, honestly, another kind of key reason we entered the London market, and I think a key reason we saw London as a huge opportunity was that like there wasn't really an alternative for drivers. Um, I think when we launched, drivers were like, oh well, I drive this one company, and I was like, well, you don't understand. In every other city globally, most drivers have the ability to drive with multiple companies and what that results in is like I guess better pay for drivers better options for drivers and I think you know when you're the only player in the market you sometimes take drivers for granted and and you don't necessarily always treat them that well and so we kind of came to this market and sort of gave them sort of insight into like what competition looks like and what sort of added benefits we can bring to drivers and so what that resulted in at least in April of last year were queues like you cannot imagine outside our door and us having to actually turn drivers away and say like we can't register you this week we're just no more we, the doors we just, are closed we just don't we just don't have capacity and so you know I think you know we've registered more than 20,000 drivers since we've launched so I guess in 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 just over a year it's a pretty so why do you think the drivers are amount? so interested I, I mean, I think we're, we're, we offer something that, that I think a lot of our competitors don't. First off, we offer like industry low commission rates. Um, you know, our service fee is only 15%, which, you know, and, and if you take a shared ride that, you know, we, we reimburse an additional 5%. Um, and so obviously that's something that's incredibly competitive. Um, we provide pretty good, like, you know, we've always pre-even TFL making this a requirement, always sort of focused very heavily on live support. You know, if you're on a ride and you get, you know, caught up in an issue or there's a problem or the app's not working, you know, having to text or send an email and not get sort of real-time live support makes your work a lot more difficult Um, and so obviously that's something that we focused on and I think if you just take any driver issue like we really do and I know all these companies say it as rhetoric but like we care like we really do kind of want to be the company that puts drivers first like I look at every single driver complaint every single week you know I go down to the driver center I chat to drivers I go along you know drivers say they're having app issues and the app's freezing I go along on driver longs to have a look at the app to try and figure out exactly what it is they need like you know people like oh what do drivers want I was like they want a go home button. Like yeah. I've spoken to enough drivers and that's what they want. And is, like, this, is this the one where maybe on their last trip they can choose a, a job that's kind of going in the direction of their home? So exactly. Right. But okay. like I've spoken to enough drivers that like I, people don't like, you know, they're like, well, what about if we could give them like faster uploads or faster screens? I was like, I'm, I'm telling you, I've spoken <laughs> to every single, like every driver I speak to, I ask what it is that you want. And like, it's interesting. Like we have a very, very clear sense of the product pipeline, what's prioritized for drivers. And I think, you know, as that kind of comes through, you know, drivers start to, you know, start to appreciate that there are companies that care sort of more about them. I think the other sort of unique things that have kind of caused I think us to kind of increase our driver pool and have drivers really want to drive with us. Um, one is we're one of the few companies that offer hourly rates. Um, and so obviously as a driver, you're relatively concerned about the consistency of your income. Uh, one of the ways that we can help to rectify that is that we can't necessarily guarantee you rides. We don't know where the demand is going to come. But what we can say is that, hey, if you drive with us between these hours, we will pay you this hourly rate. Um, and it takes away the stress of the unknown. Yeah, it's like a guarantee. Well, you know, exactly. They, they, they... And so you might not, 
not, you know, it might not be, you know, you may get an amazing day of like 100 trips and that might be like, you know, your best day ever and that might not be as good as our hourly rate. Um, but on average, we think we our blue hourly rate, we call it our blue mode. Um, that hourly rate, actually, drivers tend to earn more getting paid by the hour than they do by the ride. Um, and it provides them with like a level of consistency that they know that they er- drive this many hours today and they will definitely earn at least this amount of money. But not all of your drivers are on a blue hourly rate, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, no, no. We, we kind of think the flexibility is important. Some drivers want to be able to guarantee the hours. Some drivers want to be able to maximize their earnings by chasing after rockets. Um, and so we offer our drivers the ability to either drive in what we call our blue mode or our flex mode. One gets paid by the hour and the other gets paid by the ride. Um, and I think that added flexibility has sort of been something that kind of drove a, a number of drivers to the platform. Um, and more recently, I think one of the things we know that drivers were incredibly concerned about was the congestion charge, how we were going to compensate for it, how other competitors were going to compensate for it, whether they were going to have to drive, change their driving hours. And we thought incredibly hard and thoughtfully about like what it is that drivers wanted. And again, there have provided i think exceptional probably best in class How's flexibility exactly for, for the, with the congestion charge yes and going in and out. i mean so we have various promotions depending on uh, on sort of the time of day and depending on whether you're driving in blue mode or flex mode um during specific hours we're offering a two pound bonus um per ride if you enter the congestion charge yeah. during congestion hours and so obviously that's a, a pretty good offer to try and encourage drivers to go into the congestion zone and um, we've off, we've also been offering sort of guarantees if you complete a certain number of rides with us or you do a certain number of hours in blue then we'll fully cover your congestion charge um, we've also sort of I think the only company that's actually introduced a congestion feature um, effectively what happens is if you download our app when you kind of pick your ride preferences you can actually selectively choose to not get rides in and out of the congestion zone okay. and What's so it means you can drive in congestion hours you can comfortably accept mm. our rides knowing that we're not going to you know, we're not going to direct you into the congestion zone unless you've actually specified that you want to go there. And so I think this combination of things has resulted in one, an increase in the number of drivers that are driving with us during congestion hours, but also a, a bunch of new drivers who have come into register with us the um, because they want to yeah, yeah. find ways to, I guess, avoid paying the congestion fee during congestion hours. Mm. I, was, um, I wanted to ask, uh, and I think you kind of touched on it uh, previously um, about... Uh, where Via Van kind of slots in with the whole transportation in London and, and elsewhere, obviously. Um, but do you, self, do you see yourselves kind of competing with traditional buses and public transport, or do you see kind of Uber and the like as your kind of competition? Or do you feel like you, you kind of slot somewhere in there? You know, how, how do you guys see Yeah, it? I think we're really trying to displace other like private operators. If we think about our service, it does look a little bit more like the bus, um, particularly our shared side, we do offer private rides, but we kind of very, very much focus, particularly on the rider acquisition front on, on shared. And there, like, we kind of think we actually complement existing public transportation. And so, obviously, if you live on, very close to the tube and you want to get somewhere in peak hour traffic on the tube, uh, it's probably going to be quicker than driving above ground. It's just you know, the tube is an incredibly efficient means of of traveling during peak hours. Um, Unfortunately, like if you want to go somewhere where your tube line doesn't go or it requires you to switch several tubes, like all of a sudden things get incredibly complicated and we don't really have an above ground system that helps to service things that well. Great if you live somewhere that is on a direct line, but the second it's not a direct line, things become incredibly complicated. Now, you may not want to spend 30 pounds on a single trip getting across town um, and you may be actually comfortable 
comfortable taking a bus if the bus went direct. Um, and so we kind of think we can be a very, very good sort of complement to the existing lands landscape whereby okay you may be willing to pay eight pounds to have a slightly more comfortable journey um you you know virtually we only really send you in the direct manner like one of the reasons we've been so successful is like our algorithm for shared rides is incredibly impressive um if you take a just the the complication of, of shared rides versus single passenger rides when you when a single passenger orders a ride on via van we will consider all of the corners within two or three blocks of where you are and all of the corners within two or three blocks of where you need to go. We have to consider both the vehicles that already have passengers in them as well as the vehicles that don't have passengers in them. For the vehicles that have passengers in them, we have to we have to understand how much additional time you will add to every single passenger's mm. journey if you mm. get added to the vehicle and how much their journeys will add to your I journey. This is, done, this is done in seconds, and, right? Yeah, because like, the rider wants, doesn't want to be waiting, right? They, it, they press, they press exactly. the button and they, they, want to, they want to get going. It's more than like 100,000 computations wow, that, are, that are considered every time someone requests a ride and we give you a proposal within 10 seconds. How long did it take to, for, for the development team to kind of do something like that? Like, that sounds it's crazy. an incredibly impressive tech team. Yeah. Like, it really is. I think there's more than two 220 people in our core tech team which if you have a look at most of these 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 teams they're not nearly as big as yeah. this from it that's just the tech side is that worldwide or is that london all, based or all engineers that? um no based in office in the middle east okay, um cool. and so we have an entire team dedicated to that and then we have a like in, if we talk about like learnings i guess the company started in 2000 and 13 in New York and so you know it's been a good six years of, of, of tech learnings yeah, in, so. on the algorithm mm-hmm. side and so the algorithm is outrageously impressive you know we take into consideration perceptive detours and so for instance if you're on let's just do it con- consecutively because it's kind of easier but like if you're on second street and you're trying to get to 10th street even if it's quicker for our algorithm to send you to first street down a few and then and then up to get to 10th we won't do it because as a consumer any idea of going backwards is considered yeah, a detour yeah. even if it's the quickest route that we will actually discount the quickest route so that you don't perceive to be detouring in the wrong direction and so as you add all of those complications yeah. in the algorithm is just outrageously complicated and something mm. that i think is kind of sets us apart and so then going back to your question of where we're sort of competing with i think like we're definitely complementing public transportation i think we'll talk about this as we talk about like our expansion plans but we actually have a secondary business which is very much integrated into public transport um, but in terms of our competitors i think both on the driver side and on the rider side where we're, we're switching people away from private cars and switching people away from competitors who are predominantly focused on single passenger yeah. trips at, at sort of much higher price points okay that makes total sense there's, obviously you no know, in london there's there's certain areas especially in, in south where the, the tube doesn't really doesn't exist you know and there's, there's parts of london that are well serviced and not so well serviced so mm. that can that's where you guys essentially exactly well i mean as i hear it as well and obviously the statements that you guys release but also you just talking about it it seems like outside of just the core product offering sort of innovation and kind of advancement of technology seems to be at the heart of what via van is trying to do so i'm just wondering with that in mind kind of where do you foresee this moving in the future as in, do you see yourself being involved in multiple areas of the transportation sort of spectrum, or do you see yourself really offering something, um, this service that you do currently, even better than it is at the moment? Yeah, so I think, like, 
it might be helpful to give a little bit of a sense of kind of the spectrum of, uh, of where kind of Via Via Van currently plays. Mm-hmm. So we operate in seven consumer cities. So we're, we're in Europe as Via Van. We're in Amsterdam, London and Milton Keynes. Milton um, Keynes. Yeah. <laughs> we are... Very close to my heart. Sorry, just for the, for the record. Well, it's not close people. to my heart. No. So. <laughs> it's a really interesting city. It is because it's quite American. It's like, you know, the, well, it's kind of grid system and roundabouts. Anyway, we can, we'll move on. But yeah. <laughs> um, and we also um, have a, a partnership with the BVG, which is co-branded as Via Van, but it's actually called The Belkening is the service um, in Berlin. And then in the US, we have operations in New York, Chicago, and Washington, D.C. as under the VIA brand. Um, but then globally, we have probably more than 50 deployments that are neither branded VIA or VIA van, but are actually using our technology to power a, a, a different service. And so in the U.K., um, we have a partnership with Arriva, which is a really large bus company yeah, called absolutely. Arriva Click, um, and they're operating in Leicester, Liverpool, and Sittingbourne, Kent. And we have a partnership with the Go Ahead Group, another fairly large bus company um, in Oxford. And then actually incredibly excitingly and something we only launched on Tuesday, we're actually in partnership with Transport for London. So Wee. we're working with TFL in Sutton um, on a project called Go Sutton. Yeah, I, I saw something about this. Maybe when, maybe when I was scouring your uh, LinkedIn profile at some point. Yeah, so no, 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 it was like, it was pretty cool. The um, the deputy mayor was there to sort of kick off the project awesome. and um, TFL's been incredibly involved and it was a really competitive tender process yeah. um, and, where our technology... Obviously, obviously kind of there as well in Sutton, they were saying that one of the big positives was that they didn't feel that their public services were able to kind of provide the service for their people in the right way. And that's kind of where you guys came in, in a sense. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I think if you have a look at, at sort of Sutton, it's got the highest, one of the highest penetrations of private car ownership. And mm-hmm. and despite several efforts to invest in, in the infrastructure, they've just really not been able to, to move people across. And, and so these are really cool, like 13-seater vans um, that are branded as Go Sutton that are driving mm-hmm. around. You can kind of order a, a van on your phone, um, very similar to how the Via Van app works, but it's called the Go Sutton app. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you'll get directed to the closest corner, you'll get picked up and sort of dropped off along the way and you'll pick up other passengers and it's kind of what we think is the future mm. of public transportation both right. in the UK and globally. It's like a more efficient version of yeah of the buses as it is yeah. you know we, buses are, are great but yeah they can be notoriously slow and difficult and just don't turn up at the right times and it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating experience for most and you know if you could get away with not taking a bus most most would I think. Yeah mm. no and I think look I think the bus system can be great for certain things during peak hour um, when you see full buses going from A to B or doing first mile last mile I think it's incredibly efficient but during you know there are lots of hours where you see huge red buses with one passenger on it yeah. still doing every single stop along the route and actually not picking up or dropping off anyone at every single one of those stops like that's just an incredibly inefficient use of several buses if you had far fewer buses but that could be called on demand one you'd be catering to the population more they can track it on their phone they can be sure they don't have to switch buses every time they need to change direction um and you know we've just seen it in all of these places where we've launched we've seen you know a sort of more a more tailored approach and a more efficient operation results in a greater 
part of the population being serviced by by the solution um, like more convenience drives demand demand drives utilization utilization helps to reduce the costs of the vehicles and all of a sudden you can provide a much better quality of service at a much lower cost and like that's what public transportation yeah. should be doing so I think with that in mind if we're looking at like where our 50 you know we've got like sort of 50 deployments like we want to be in 80 cities um, 100 cities in the UK um, I think some of them will be consumer cities we will launch similar services to London hopefully in other major cities across the UK um, but we're also taking you know we're speaking to local councils we're speaking to governments we're speaking to um, bus operators in, in all cities across the country mm. and, and we want to kind of be providing this type of solution in one of the formats that we do right. it sort of everywhere and will you be expanding um, within London as well so yeah I think we have uh, you know where we want to get to the M25 I think a lot of us you know it's about thoughtful expansion you know you don't want to you know, encourage drivers to join the platform on the M25 when you don't currently have demand there. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there a limit to what, what kind of zone do you finish at the moment? At the moment, where we're sort of out to zone five. Okay. Um, it's more or less uh, right edge. Which we're yeah. not we're not that far, but actually extending from zone five to M25 <coughs> doubles the size of the zone. Really? Okay. That's how big that. the zone six outwards yeah. is. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's a, a large part of the population. We have a lot of drivers that live um, in that area, and it would be nice to be in zone the second you get online. But we want to be able to have demand for those drivers when they're in that area. Sure, sure. Um, and and so a lot of our, we haven't been one of those companies that just launched everywhere. We've really thoughtfully expanded and it's been about, okay, when can we encourage sharing? When can we get a high aggregation? When can we make sure that our drivers on our platform are earning enough no matter where they are? We think we're pretty close. Um, and so I think that will be coming pretty imminently. Um, we're also only servicing three airports at the moment. So we're at London City Airport, Gatwick and Heathrow. Obviously there's Stansted, Luton, two other fairly big airports with quite big demand where we actually think the sharing concept, given how far it is and how poorly serviced it is by existing public transportation, um, could actually be a pretty good Yeah, there is, no, there is, I mean, obviously there's the Stansted Express. National Express, uh, which yeah. Is almost, yeah. Which is not too bad. Uh, the, you, the coach is, yeah. but the National Express coach is, is not without disrespecting too much on the podcast it's, it's you know you have to wait almost like a, you know, half an hour sometimes mm-hmm. in a queue outside it's, it's a very it gets you there cheap yeah. it's quite slow I actually mm-hmm. like I think it depends on where you live like I don't live far from Finchley Road and so all of a sudden it's yeah. incredibly convenient to catch the National Express but I didn't used to live there and like it used to be like I'd have to figure out a way to get to a train station and then hope the train that comes once an hour to that airport mm-hmm. was in the right hour I needed it. And they're quite I, I expensive as well. It, it doesn't feel like it's a, a good enough solution given mm-hmm. that given the airports that they service. And also those airports typically have people that are a little bit more cost conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the reason they're typically flying with those like providers, including myself. Oh, classic mistake. Oh. <laughs> From the host. It was Ashley, of course. Ashley, who's a graphic designer at Octocar. I'll call him back. Um, what was the... We were discussing. Oh yeah, National Express. That's the one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was just saying that the National Express consu- well, not the National Express consumers who use Luton and Stansted airports are a little bit more cost conscious, mm-hmm. as typically am I. And so the thought of spending a huge amount to get to the airport, like sometimes you know, if you take a, a private hire vehicle there um, as a single passenger, you pay more for the. Yep. car to the airport than you do for the flight and that seems a little bit yeah, you know, I mean, I've been, um, I've been, I've been standard, yeah. standard many a time even actually just last week I just came back from there and it's uh, it basically cost me just as much to get there like four, you're looking, looking about 40 to 45 pounds yeah. from, from North London to get to Stansted and the flight itself was like 60 return so and you include the Stansted Express on the way back which is like 17, mm. 18 quid it, yeah, it's literally the same price yeah. if not more sometimes 
So I, I, my thoughts are like, I think there is a cool opportunity there if you Definitely. can build the right um, aggregation. Um, also, people are going to and from the airport, obviously a lot more sensitive to ET, like to detours. Mm-hmm. And so I think what you need to do is guarantee that it's very, very limited detours, almost like you request a, a time you need to get to the airport by and we sort of guarantee that we'll get you there in time. Um, but I think with that sort of promise in mind, I think you could actually set up a pretty cool mm. service that way. Yeah. Mm. I think the other thing from a driver perspective is you need to make sure there's demand both ways. You don't really want to send drivers to Stansted Airport if you can't guarantee them a trip home. Mm. Um, and so figuring that out, I think, is important before we launch. Well, I think like that as well, the way that you guys, especially in the messages that you've put out there, it seems to be a lot about putting the driver first. And I like this thing um, that um, was mentioned about kind of um, the corporate ethos being about putting safety first for the drivers. And I was just curious to know kind of what initiatives you guys had that kind of spoke to that. Yeah, no, no, no. I think obviously like safety in general is incredibly important. I think we've got quite a lot of stuff, you know, that sometimes people don't love, but kind of I think when they understand where it's coming from, realize that it's the right place. So we have relatively strict driver fatigue rules. Actually, I think the strictest in the industry. And that's not because we don't want drivers to be able to maximize their earnings. It's because we want our drivers to be safe. And, you know, it's it's a tough job. Driving 10 hours in a row is really, really tough yeah. and exhausting. Is, and, is that your limit, 10? And you can't be online for more than 10 hours so it's not taking trips for 10 hours because then you could be on outline for 15 hours and just be driving you cannot actually be on our platform for more than 10 hours in a row and it may sound harsh but like to me that's about because i don't want our drivers you know ending up exhausted behind the wheel Mm -hmm. endangering their lives and endangering the lives of our passengers so i think that's one of the things we do um we have fairly good you know we have incredibly good life support you know you can call text message any time of the day and someone is going to answer the phone and that was built from the very second we started it wasn't a regulatory requirement that we then had to comply with like we've always provided that and I think that's something like drivers know that they're there Um, I think also like people you know there are different mixed views on sharing I think one of the things I love about sharing is the fact that like you always know there's someone else in the car or that there's someone likely to get in the car Mm -hmm. so I think you're just naturally on your better behavior Mm. um you know i've kind of gone into the car before where i've seen other riders speaking incredibly badly to drivers and like as a a human i can turn around and say like hey like you know he's trying his best and you know Mm. he's trying hard like what you know stop giving him a hard time whereas if it's just the rider and the driver you know the rider gets out and makes a complaint it's very very difficult for anyone to determine whether the driver or the rider are giving the right side of the story. We mm. constantly call another passenger in the car to get their version of the event. Mm. Um, and that really helps, I think, give the drivers the safety that there's someone else watching. Yeah, it kind of like backs up their story, if there is a story to have. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And we use technology pretty aggressively as mm. well to kind of track movements, whether or not, you know, any stories that are read in kind of match up to sort of the the car movements. Um, but really, we really do try and sort of make our operating center, the place where you come to visit, a fairly open one. We have fairly cool driver events every few months where we invite sort of all our high engaged drivers into the office to kind of hear about our strategy, things that we're doing. You know, I always come down and spend a few hours having cake, chatting, playing games and really getting to understand like what are the things that are annoying our drivers that I can go back and try and fight for. And so like when the congestion charge, for instance, came up like that to me, when we had the one pre-congestion charge, it was all drivers were talking about. And I was like, we need a feature that is going to fix congestion charge. And like that was a big ask if you think about it globally. Like the congestion charge was only a London feature. It was never going to be used in any other city. And I was like, you don't understand, like this is something that drivers are living and breathing. It's all they're talking about. We need something that we can provide them that will 
make them happier. And so I think these events and, and, and sort of our very open touch point kind of provides drivers not just with safety, but like I think a, a bit of a feeling that we don't just talk the talk. We actually try to walk the walk as well. And where is the office or the, the hub for these drivers that they can come? Um, so actually the office for both the driver centre and our head office are at the same location. Okay. And I think that is so that I can come down and like I really wanted yeah, the driver centre right where our office was so that I can come down and say like, hey, and I often do this, like, hi, why are there six drivers waiting? Like yeah, who yeah. in the back? Like drivers should not have to come to our driver centre to meet with someone and have to wait, wait 10 minutes to see someone. Like why is someone not here? And, you know, I start screaming and shouting and everyone writes out and then there's no more cues. <laughs> but like, you know, it's important to kind of see and feel that. And what, um, more importantly, what kind of cake do we have? What, lots of different about? cake. Well, yeah. at the moment, it's Ramadan, so we've been kind enough not to, you know, we have a, a number of, of, of drivers that are um, that are not eating, I guess, yeah. during the day. And so at the moment, we have no cake in the office. We've kind of tried to keep kind of food out of the office to uh, avoid the, the temptation. But um, typically, mm-hmm. we have cookies, cake, tea, all sorts of things. Um, I have to come down and yeah, make a little visit. Anytime. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so our offices, though, are in Angel. We're at 2 to 10 sure. Barron Street, Angel. Awesome. Okay. Outside of the congestion zone. Okay. And if they just follow the screaming and shouting, it'll be... <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll find their way. <laughs> exactly. I think what I wanted to ask is kind of going back about uh, where you guys were planning to go, but also also where do you think the industry is going to go? Because obviously there's a lot more competition at the moment. We've got a lot of new... Sorry, operators uh, coming on board, like, you know, My Whip. Um... Via Van are obviously there, um, who joined last week. It was Captain who you know, come on board. So how do you, where do you kind of see the industry going? Let's say in a year's time, is it just going to be you guys all fighting against each other to kind of grab the, the driver and the rider's attention? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's an interesting one. I think there are a lot of competitors coming to the market, kind of offering the same thing. I think we came to the market and it was quite a different value proposition. You know, sort of Uber pool sort of existed, but like Uber pool pricing is the same as UberX pricing or almost consistently was. There was never really a push to actually mm. offer a pretty good pooled service. And like it was still door to door. It was, yeah, expensive. The product was clunky. I don't think there was... You know, I just don't think there's a huge number of users. You know, obviously the UberX core product is universal, and I think that still feels like their bread and butter. Um, I think we came to the market with a, a very clear value proposition. Like, you know, yes, we offer private rides, but like we also offer this fairly cool corner-to-corner service mm-hmm. with very, very low detours, a really efficient algorithm, and very, very competitive pricing. Um, I think all of the other players that have come to the market, other than sort of some gimmicks of gold cars and some, some you know, uh, you know, fancy advertising, I, I still can't quite work out what their value proposition is. They don't really look any different to UberX, and honestly, they're not really providing drive with that much else so you know every you know every new app comes to the market and offers crazy promos for the first few weeks but you know when their underlying you know service fee is still more than 20 percent it doesn't really feel like they're putting drivers first and so i just think that when all of this settles this this private market fight um, between all of these players offering the same thing I find it hard to believe that it's a sustainable long-term plan. Mm. Um, in terms of the industry, I think the industry is going to force us more and more towards shared. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just saying that because that's our value proposition. I'm saying that because the mayor's 2041 plan says that like all trips are going to be done by public transportation, walking, or 80% of trips are going to be done by public transportation, walking or cycling. And I think they're starting to see that public transportation... 80%? 
2041, they want, he wants 80% Cy- only cycling, or walking? cycling, walking, or public transport. Oh, okay, all public transport. I was going to say, yeah, no, I, no, I, no. I don't think I'm not going to be walking from you know Barnet to no, no, to, no, no, no all public transport. So you know, that's a that's a very that's a vast shift from where we're currently at. Do in you the know city what the current London. stats are? I don't, or? but I think it's still sub 30. Okay. Um, yeah, but I, I yeah. like that's talking a little. It's just from a. I'm not 100 percent sure. Okay, sure yeah, but yeah. I um, but you know that's a, a fairly drastic shift. And if we're going to see that shift, I think we're going to have to find either a public transport system like Go Sutton, um, mm-hmm. which is much more on demand, much less walk, you know, much more direct routing above ground, um, or I think they're going to start mandating that multi-passenger trips get charged different types of fees to single trips. So if you look at places like New York, where they also introduced a congestion charge, their congestion charge differentiates between shared mm. and private rides. Okay. And I think that it's been incredibly effective at encouraging multi-passenger trips. Obviously, multi-passenger trips help to reduce the number of cars on the road and help to kind of increase efficiency without taking away the comfort of the car. Mm-hmm. And so if I was going to guess as to where London regulation is likely to go, okay, in maybe the core city centre where originally it's launched, they think that there should be zero cars and so they've gone to like the most extreme I think as they extend this out to like the north south circular drive and beyond I think they're going to start taking shared into consideration and I think shared will be charged differently to private now we see like they've been trying for years now to get um, Oxford Street pedestrianised to no avail it's just you know a very slow burn I think for that for them kind of things to happen people love cars I think like you know they're efficient they get places people places quickly it, it's just that it's you know there's a there's a tax on the city mm-hmm. and a tax on the health that's just really difficult to quantify um and so unless people start paying for that tax like i think it's just a, a like I, I just think it's a hard one and it's complicated for our drivers it's complicated for us um but if i have a look at the mayor and his statements and, and sort of where the industry it feels like they're pushing um, I think the biggest industry shift we're going to see is is a, a forced shift towards pub- things that look more like public transportation. And do you think actually in actions that London at the moment is supporting um, players in the industry to innovate and come up with new ideas? I, look, I think London's a great city for innovation. I really do. You know, I think there are, you know, there are a lot of smart people, there are a lot of ambitious, excited people, and there are a lot of people in the tech space. You know, if you look at London, it's definitely heavily regulated. And, you know, a lot of people say regulation kind of stifles innovation. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think regulation can also do other things. So I think on in the transport space, I think regulation has helped to make sure, like, this industry is incredibly well regulated, incredibly safe. Um, yes, like, sometimes I find that that puts, like, an unfair burden on our drivers and it can sometimes place an unfair burden on us. But on the whole, it means that when an operator gets a licence in London, that operator is very, very fit and proper to operate yeah, and right, has, like, yeah. pretty strict rules around regulation. But it also means that our drivers are incredibly impressive. Like, our drivers have to go through a lot of hoops in order to get regulated to have to keep that regulation to keep good standing with tfl like all the drivers that have private hire licenses in london are impressive like you know impressive people like they've they've really gone above and beyond to show themselves as, as capable of transporting people in the public and i think that is true in london and it is not true globally okay so i think that's a a, a positive of regulation, even though it's burdensome, I do think it, it improves the industry standard. Mm. Um, in terms of like 
just broad innovation. I also think that like when you have to regulate and you have to kind of meet regulations, you're kind of forced to innovate. So like, you know, driver fatigue rules in order to maintain them, you have to find innovations to create it. You know, the congestion charge comes up, you have to find you know innovative ways to allow drivers to avoid the congestion zone. Like all of these things provide like different forms of innovation. Um, yeah, so I like I'm I'm still pro London as a city for opportunity as a city where we're going to see huge developments in this space and in the broad micro mobility space over the coming few years. Um, yeah, I, I'm I love this city. Yeah. So do we. So do we. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but c- c- carrying on with um, automation, I have to ask for your opinion on autonomous vehicles. <laughs> or I mean, do you have do you have an opinion in it? Do you, have, you know because in, in 2040, ideally by that point, we'd have already seen that on the streets of London. They've been talking about it for a couple of years already as if it was meant to happen now. Is it an area that... I mean, I think it's definitely coming at some stage. Mm. I think it's not our core focus. I mean, we think that, you know, shared is more important than autonomous when it comes to reducing congestion and improving the environment. You know, electric gets us some of the way, but if you have thousands of electric vehicles, you're just going to result in huge amounts, you know, huge amounts of congestion. The only way to actually solve for this is, is with shared yeah. um the question of autonomous is a, obviously an interesting one the technology is definitely quickly and and fast and and fast moving um we think like there's probably definitely space for autonomous vehicles i think that if anyone thinks that by 2040 we're going to have a hundred percent autonomous fleet i think they're kidding themselves uh, you know i think that we're going to slowly introduce autonomous in places where it makes sense to do so um maybe in, you know, or maybe example. in like fixed routes you yeah, know yeah, fixed yeah. routes that uh less subject to kind of changes and things happening like if you speak to you know if you sit in enough cars or you speak to enough drivers like the role is really complicated you make really specific decisions um the routing changes customers updating where they want to go emergencies happening i think you know we're still a, a, a quite a far a far way off um I think autonomous being able to kind of cover that. But I think there's no doubt that this is an interesting space to watch, you know, between the electric, huge electric push that's going to happen over the course of the next five years. I think a move way toward much further towards autonomous, I think push more aggressively towards sharing. Um, it's definitely a very cool space to be in. No, oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah. any, more, any more questions? Uh, <laughs> Um, I mean, I feel like you've answered a lot, um, especially when you were talking about OLEs and congestion charges. One thing that I found interesting, because obviously you guys pitch yourself as well, not only as just a private hire company, but also quite environmentally sound. And you guys seem to be thinking about that, even with the kind of core offering that you have. And I'm just curious with that, were you, did you guys generally have a positive outlook on those rulings or... Was it an un- kind of something you felt you had to overcome just like all the other companies? I think that there are a couple of things about it that, you know, I, I don't think were necessarily fair. I think taxis being exempt from the rule when private hire vehicles were not. Mm-hmm. I know that there were several justifications for it. Like we think that I, I'm just not convinced that they were like fair justifications. I think it probably should have been industry-wide. Um, I think if we look at the the specifics of it you know if you're if this is about reducing congestion and improving the environment we also think that shared should be treated differently Mm -hmm. um we're okay for our private rides to 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 have a like a sort of the ules type charge or a congestion type charge but if you're helping to reduce the number of 
of, of vehicles by encouraging people to get into a single vehicle, then there probably should be some rebate system, which is what has happened for congestion charges in other cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, like, we're not anti-congestion. Anti- I think, honestly, the, the city and our, our health you know, stepping back from it all, yes, I'm in the industry where we want to do more rides, but I think if I step back from it and I actually think holistically about about the world, I think actually reducing single passenger vehicle trips and actually improving the environment and, and encouraging people to walk and cycle more is the right the right way for the right. city to be moving, right way for the world to be moving. Mm. Um, and so I actually think it was pretty bold and pretty gutsy to see the mayor actually come out and implement something that had a relatively drastic impact. I think my my thoughts are more of, okay, what is the goal of the Like the goal of this is to encourage, you know, a reduction in emissions and like an improvement in our health um, but we want to do so in a way that actually like moves society forward and I don't think banning cars from the road is really going to be feasible mm. and so I think the city needs to start investing in ways to mm. like improve things so like yes okay let's make all of our vehicles electric but then you need to provide drivers with the infrastructure to charge mm. their vehicles quickly so that they can still make a living yeah. and I think we're pushing really aggressively for things that are the right things yeah. but we haven't started investing sufficiently in the ways to kind of help us get there i think that's a common sentiment amongst a lot of people actually um do you guys have particular specifications for vehicles um, for drivers that want to get involved with via then uh not uh i guess not hard and fast i think you have to have a vehicle that's that's newer than 2010 um it's sort of our our hard and fast requirement obviously (laughs) we like now that sort of every, with everything going on, I think the the more green, the better. So sure, to the extent that you've got an electric vehicle or a plug-in hybrid, um, you know, we're obviously sort of helping to encourage that trend. Um, we also are 50% owned by MB Vans. And so to the extent that you have a Mercedes vehicle, um, we obviously love that too. Mm. Um, but but by and large, we kind of accept all other all vehicles onto our platform. Um, really what we're looking for is are the drivers that really care about what they do, mm. um, drivers that sort of want to be part of this revolution towards mm. shared and also kind of want to work for a company that, mm. that, that really wants to try and continue to put them first. And I guess that's something I'm kind of curious about as well well in in terms of like the profile of driver that you attract in general because obviously like the type of driving is slightly different from let's say UberX or just straight up taxi driving Um, and obviously mixed into that is kind of this ethical side that you're mentioning so I mean I'm just curious is there like a specific type or temperament of driver that you find likes this kind of work more? Honestly it's really varied we have varied drivers by religion by ethnicity by background by education level by age like it's it's what i find so interesting about this industry is that the people differ really yeah like it's it's pretty amazing we have a few incredible female drivers we run a program called driver of the week um and so every week we give um a, a driver a cash bonus for being our driver of the week and it just requires them to have given some level of really strong positive customer service and we get a bunch of nominations and every week we pick one and we've had several women win driver of the week and they come in and they look and and, and feel fairly different um, but they're also exceptional drivers and so I don't think there's like one unique thing that makes you want to drive 
or, or I'll make you a better driver with us. I do think that like the drivers that we've seen kind of like to stick with us are like a lot of drivers who want consistent earnings. And so the idea of being able to lock in hourly rates kind of attracts a bunch of drivers. A lot of drivers that are fed up with paying 20 to 25% service fee, you know, they do most of the work paying like that amount in service charge is pretty high. And so I think a lot of drivers love working with us because they see the low service fee and they realize like that's actually reflective of what this company provides me versus what I give to this company. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they're the sort of the uh, earning seems to be sort of the main one. And then the other is like people sometimes just come and really like us. Like we feel real. I think you're real. We're, I think we're relatively approachable. It was a cake, wasn't it? That's yeah, it's the cake. It's, it's all the cake. But no, no, the events they, they, they make a difference, and I feel like people feel like they've been part of our journey. You know, I know the names of like the first twenty drivers that came to drive with us. A few of them still have my my number because when we were originally, you know onboarding drivers we were kind of calling them to find out like what do they does this look better did this sound better as a promo early on they still have my numbers and they'll message me saying like hey jess it's taken me like a day at longer than usual to get my docs uploaded can you check with your back office to see what's going on and like i like that because it kind of make keeps me it, it gives me another perspective of what's going on yeah. in the back end and how drivers are perceiving us but like those drivers are still with us because they believed in the mission and they feel like they were like the part the founding part of it, of it mm-hmm. and they were must have been like an um, awesome moment for yourself right bringing them your first driver was that like a, a yeah. kind of a special moment um, I mean, the onboarding, we also, we started onboarding drivers quite a bit before we actually launched in London, because okay. I think the licensing process took a little longer than we were originally anticipating. Um, but like the first day of driving where like most of the trips were done by us because it was kind of like a very big testing phase. Sure. And like every trip I got into a car and I knew the driver because I'd, I'd helped to onboard him. I think there was like a, a fairly nice element of that. And I must say, when we have our driver events and those drivers come back, like we kind of, there is like an element of joking about like, what that first month was like because it was chaos <laughs> i mean amazing chaos but chaos okay awesome i think um i think that's all we have time for today uh thank you so much for for coming on board and being our, our guest on the show uh also thank you to issue as well who for the for the listeners has got an injury and has, has managed to get himself down here for today so, thank so you i might need to use via van also a big thank you to you uh, to you the listener for joining in uh, if you like this podcast please do subscribe uh, and rate us if you can that would definitely help us get up the rankings uh, until next time a drive safe